Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 191st episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest in today's podcast is Tiffany Charles. Tiffany is the Chief Growth Officer for Destiny Capital, a hybrid advisory firm based near Denver, Colorado, that oversees $260 million in assets under management for nearly 200 households. What's unique about Tiffany, though, is the way she's crafted a unique role for herself as the chief growth officer for an independent advisory firm, with a focus not simply on personally prospecting for new business, but building more scalable marketing systems to power the growth of the entire firm. In this episode, we talk in depth about how Tiffany forged her own career path through the industry, starting out first as an executive assistant and then taking on roles in compliance and marketing before climbing the ladder from an associate advisor to a lead. The challenges in building a book of clients by the traditional industry approach that may not be authentic to one's natural style of marketing. The way Tiffany restructured her own personal focus to move away from business outcomes and towards measuring her activity instead. And how Tiffany ultimately created her own unique chief growth officer role with the focus on the firm's revenue, client experience, brand identity, and culture. We also talk about how Tiffany took on her chief growth officer role with her firm as a tie-in to a next-generation succession plan for the firm, why it was so appealing to join a firm that was already in the midst of transitioning to the next generation of leadership, how she negotiated her role to become a new partner with the firm, and the way she co-created a new vision with the firm and her new partner to pursue a new niche of working with entrepreneurs. And be certain to listen to the end, where Tiffany shares the challenges in transitioning an advisory firm from a lifestyle focus to a path of growth. Why, even if you have an aspirational vision of someday leading an advisory firm, often the key experiences that shape you come from those early entry-level roles that are still so valuable in the early stages of our own careers. And the power of finding a mentor and investing into a coach to help get perspective on how to navigate the key steps of your career along the way. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Tiffany Charles. Welcome, Tiffany Charles, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion and, and talking a little about just the, the, the ever-broad industry challenges of, of growth and, and how to grow advisory firms and, and the way that I think growth is changing for the industry as a whole from sort of the, I don't know, the, like the founding model of being a financial advisor, which is, you know, here's a, here's a phone and, and the, and the white pages start, start calling people and, and see, you can find, if you can find some people to do business with you, then I guess you're going to be an advisor to this, this modern world where like growth is increasingly separating from advisors. Some advisors, heaven forbid, actually just come in because they want to give people advice, not go be business developers while other people do have that skill set and want to do it. And I know you have a, a very unique kind of position and title that I, I don't think I've seen before anywhere, at least not in the advisor world of wearing a chief growth officer hat for an, an independent advisory firm. And so I, I'm just, I'm excited to, to talk about this kind of changing face of what growth looks like in advisory firms and, and how to strategize around growth when you more and more advisors maybe come into the industry today or, or 
are trying to get into the industry today without necessarily coming to the table because they want to go get clients. They come to Gable because they want to give advice, but, but someone's got to get the clients if we're going to grow. So we got to figure something out here. Yeah. And that is why there is a chief growth officer physician is exactly, is exactly, is exactly that problem combined with a few others, but it's growth has changed and the way about it has changed. And and I've experienced those things like go to your natural market. If you just get in front of a ton of people and hope that they like you enough, you'll earn business and, and then you earn your rights to do whatever else it is that's more fulfilling to you. Right. And, and I didn't love that model and I but I was wild about what wealth management and planning does for the world right like I it was quick to me early on that what we do isn't about money it's 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 a business about changing lives I knew that I wanted to do it from my corner of the world in this industry but the structures and the systems that exist didn't work for me for me and I think for a lot of other people. And so I just really got passionate about how this could look and how we could adapt. I think you frame it so well, right? The This traditional path into the industry, just start calling people, start seeing people, start getting in front of people. We teach, like just focus on the activity, keep the activity. It's a game of numbers. If you do this enough times, some people are going to like you and what you have to say, and you'll eventually get some business and close business. You just have to go out there and keep grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And whoever's the grindiest with, you know, some modicum of, of success will eventually grind out enough clients to, to make this work. And, and then I, I think as you very aptly put it, at least from the traditional industry approach, like, and then you can earn the right to do whatever you actually want to do, right? There's still a lot of firms out there like, oh, if you get enough clients, then you can go get CFP certification and learn financial planning. Like, If you get enough clients, then we'll allow you to also get paid for financial planning in addition to selling our company's products. But like it all, it all historically started with go talk to a bajillion people, try to convince some of them to become clients, make some sales, earn some business, eat a little bit of what you kill. And if that works, then maybe we can talk about you actually building the business you want to build someday. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that just, that became really fascinating to me. I got really curious about there, there's that approach. And then, and then of course there's advisors who are coming into the industry now in a retention and client service role that business development isn't in their world until they're, they've climbed, you know, for lack of better words, they've climbed the, the the ladder to get to a position in which now they have to produce in order to become partner or they have to do other things. So there's there's two things here, but but back to coming in and having to do that in order to earn your right, like you're not in your power, right? Like that's not if that's not what if that's not what fuels you or fires you or lights you, like there's a real stress and struggle and disconnect in that. And and that makes it a very, very tough place to grow. And the truth is, is there's business development in what fuels and fires them. You just have to understand it and get creative around that. And I think, I think one of the, one of the big takeaways I learned was that business and development growth is not all about pipeline and prospecting, 
right? It's about, it's about understanding yourself. It's about mindset. It's understanding what is energy filling to you, where your skill sets and experience really lean a hand, and then learning how you can cultivate that and grow that and the, that naturally. And, and, and con- when you do it consistently, that naturally provides opportunities. And by the way, way more aligned opportunities, ones that you feel really, really good about. And I had to learn that through failing miserably at trying <laughs> the old way, what I consider the old way. And then finally just going out of on a limb to be like, I'm going to try it my way. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try to really get into touch with like how I can grow business through things that I love. And, and that really, I started seeing some results there. And, and then I also, I, I always approached it never from like a one-to-one. It wasn't about like this, how I'm advising that client, but like really like, how do we do that from a greater scale? Like I believe in so much of what we do and how we do it. How do I take that from just like, you know, advising in that, that, that one-to-one relationship and how do I, how do I broaden that into the market? Like, what do I do to get more opportunities here? And like, how do we do that? And, and that's really a big part of why I'm where I am today. So, so talk to us a little bit more about this evolution. Cause just, I, I don't know what I'm hearing kind of reading between the lines here is like, you know, came into the industry and traditional business development was, was not happy with it, was not enjoying it. It was not working for you, which I mean, I think classically our industry would kind of frame as, well, you know, maybe, maybe Tiffany's just not a great at, at business development. Maybe that's not her thing. Yet here you are wearing a chief growth officer hat. So clearly there was a there was a, a business development mindset there in 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 some manner that you managed to bring forth and blossom forth. So talk to us a little bit more just about this journey of of business development and and I guess what you did early on that wasn't working and 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 what changed. Yeah. So I guess a few things. So I came into the industry actually as an executive assistant. So I've sat in many seats from executive assistant to advertising compliance, to marketing, to paraplanner, to management, to second advisor, lead advisor. I didn't know then, but what I'm grateful for now is that I naturally have a curious mind. I also naturally like to challenge things, right? Like I'm like, why are we doing it that way? (laughs) That doesn't make sense. And while that got me in trouble in some ways, I think it's part of the reason I'm I'm where I am today as well. So sitting in those seats gave me a lot of perspective of what felt good in those roles, what didn't, what ones I really excited me and and drove me and which ones and which ones I felt more um, draining or less fulfilling. And and so then going on the path of becoming a CGO, it was, it was interesting because my worldview was, again, we're in the business of changing lives. Like it's not just about money and like how amazing would it be if we had a thousand households in which we put money where it belongs, right? Which is not in the driver's seat. And the driver's seat was their agency to life and decision-making and capital and just freedom, right? Like they were living their best selves. Like think about that impact when people are their best selves and how, and how they spread that in their world. So I was really passionate about the fact that I found my place to create the impact that I wanted to from my corner of the world. And then as I mentioned 
I, I was, as I was going through all of those seats and learning the business, it was, man, like this one-to-one client experience thing is it, it's great, but like the technical planning wasn't really my, I didn't, I like, I didn't love doing it. And, and the advising wasn't, I just, I love the idea of opening people's minds to how we could change them. And then I love the back end of learning how we did and how we could have done it better. Like, and, and so I found myself really strategic in that. And, and I love beta new ideas and, and I loved going out and, Revenue, I mean, naturally in me, there's an, like, uh, there's an aspect of the hunt that kind of fuels me too, right? Like it's, it's excites me. And then, and then I have a real passion for women's advancement and being a voice in culture creation because along the way, and I think there's systemic things that are just naturally there, but also in my own experiences, I just became really in this place of, I want to be a I want to be a part of this change. Like it needs a radical overhaul and I want to be a part of creating a culture of trust, acceptance and growth. And then in all of that, there's obviously internal hangups, right? Like who am I? And <laughs> who am I to want all that and and how do I get it? And then the other thing was the only path to success that has ever been presented to me was to through being an advisor. Like the only way I was going to get there was by technically planning, showing that I can handle, you know, a book of a hundred clients and, you know, a couple hundred million dollars under management. And, and that was going to be the way that I would earn my right to maybe hand that off in the future. And that was the point where I was like, maybe this isn't for me. And, and that was also the point that I realized our industry and like, having such a strong structure around how success is earned in our industry and what it looks like, it it limits the talent and the possibilities. And I wanted to, I wanted to solve that. And so that combined with the problem of the fundamental mismatch of how, what I consider generation one or the generation ahead of us came into the business, which was sales, then advice and how the current generation is coming in, which is a lot of financial planning, CFPs. And so planning first, and by the way, more so in positions of retention and client experience, that there was a real problem there. And I had the skill set and experience to solve that. And also, as you alluded to, it was like being stuck in that same box. Like the past just wasn't going to indicate the future and, and really the present. And so I decided that I was done hearing, but this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> and, and I wanted to get out of that box and create my triangle. And through some amazing coaching and some mindset work, I put it down on paper. I got courageous enough to put it out there. And I was just overwhelmed by the response. And that response led into synergistically finding my partner and firm to give this whole thing the best shot. So, so talk to me a little bit more about just, I don't know, I guess like this, the, the, the wall that you were hitting that, that drove this change. So you said you, you had, I guess, already been climbing the, the sort of industry career ladder for a while from executive assistant to advertising appliance, marketing, paraplan, associate advisor, lead advisor. So like, where was it along this journey that I guess that the, that the path started breaking down? Cause I feel like for a lot of folks that like that story in and of itself is an, is a really cool career journey success story. Like I started as an executive assistant, I got to advertising compliance, I did some marketing, and then I got into a paraplanner, an associate advisor, and I led, and I climbed to a lead advisor. And it's like, 
cool. You made it. Like you did the journey. You did the path. Like, oh, oh, wait, like, wait, why are you not happy with this? Like, what happened? Like, so where, where did this break down for you? Yeah, because, you know, the, I was taking a path that wasn't within my authenticity or, or, or my fulfillment, right? Like being an advisor was never, wasn't the goal. It was the only way I thought I could be successful. And it was, and, and the industry, like, you know, when you go to conferences, like everybody up there are like all the successful advisors. And, and so I think that was a, that was a big piece of it. But so just I, a realization um, of like, wait, doing this one-to-one client thing, like just actually isn't doing it for me. Yeah. And that was scary because I believed so much of, I believed in what we do so much. And I wanted, that was something I was really passionate about, but I didn't want to do it in the way of being an advisor. And I didn't know or really have seen, and especially for women, other ways of succeeding. And so uh, I guess just, was there a, was there a moment? Was there a point? Was there a, a transition or event that, that kind of let, led to a breaking point where you said this, this just has to change. This isn't working for me. Like what, what, what drove this realization of I've spent all these years becoming an advisor and I've just realized I don't actually want to do that. I guess there's a couple of things that really happened early on my career. I got to learn from someone who was really successful in the industry and he did great things. And, and I thought maybe that would be my place. There was succession opportunities and this and that. But over time, I just found that like one, there was a little bit of, I, I think that generation, generation one, two friction, the good news is it wasn't a business development friction point. It was that he's planning for the next two years and I'm planning for the next 30 years. Right. And, and that was a friction point. So I, I felt stagnant and that was frustrating at the time. But when you look back on the journey and you're honoring that, you're just like, well, that makes sense. Right. Like he's in this place and he built this thing. And, and then I'm in this place of uh, no wonder our visions don't align. And, and that became clear to me that in succession planning or partnering or life, like that, that vision and that alignment is really, really important. And so I, I left that and I started getting into this place of, I, I actually went to a firm that was protection first oriented. So commissionable products and then planning. So in that, I, I put on that generation one hat and I had to go and build business in order to earn the next, right. So, but then that, that business development piece of me that I was always really curious about got to like, you know, start, start feeding itself and learning. And so I was really excited about that because it was something I always wanted to do. I felt really confident in it. I really learned that my my superpowers are like connection and process. So there was just something there about business development. And my partners there were really great. And so we, we, we actually started trying this model because they were already successful in that model. And I was coming in and I had to you know earn my keep or my value or certainly my income. And I found that those pressures, there was a lot of things that came up for me. Like for one, like I'll never forget being in front of somebody that I brought in. And I I failed a lot in in the business development activities that I tried, right? Like all the all the things that you suggested came down, like 
who's the 100 people in your natural market, call them, like get in front of CPAs and attorneys and create a relationship for referrals, like get on seminars and, and all that stuff. But there, there was no like intentionality or purpose behind that. It was just get in front of as many people as you can, hope that you land one, and then hope you can get them to the finish line. And what I realized about that and then being in front of this one client, I'd finally, like I'd been working hard. I'd been failing like crazy. And I found myself totally out of integrity when even though the advice and planning and recommendations that we were giving were right for this family and what they were doing, I found myself really, really attached to needing them to make this decision for me and my family because it was an income thing. And it really bothered me. And I started getting severe burnout and, and misalignment all the way around. Like I just... As an advisor, I felt like you should never be in the position to, regardless if it's right for them or not, like it always has to be in the client's, the client's seat to make that decision, right? Like it can't have anything to do with me or I am just not being my best self and, and what we do so important that you have to be the best. So the frustration that like, look, even though I'm, I really am trying to make the right, the right recommendation boy, it's still really stressful when at the end of the day, like if they decide they don't want to take care of their family, I don't get to take care of mine because I don't get paid. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was devastating to me. And, and, and again, I was, I was failing miserably. So, you know, it's hard to get people through the door, you know, like that's hard. And what was so great is that my partners at the, at the time they were, they were really, they really showed me like, they wrapped their arms around me in that. And like, they were really, really great. But what happened was I think they could tell, like I was just at the breaking point, but, but they believed in me and an article showed up on my desk in investment news. And it was Stephanie Bogan coming out of retirement <laughs> and having an art. It was one of her first written articles. It just hit me and I researched her. I sent an email and she responded back. I got my partners on board that this was something we needed to invest in. And, but I was approaching it from a fact that like I'm missing something in business development, right? Because I was hungry for the income piece of it and, and some of the other, and I was like, whatever's been taught to me isn't working. So like, I need some, I need some new ideas up in here. It was fascinating because when I, we finally got, we we started with her so we hired her as a as a private coach and when we started with her it was it was just fascinating because i knew she could just tell me all the all the things i could do in business development to go earn that business what she knew is i wasn't going to earn that business unless i got my inner self more aligned and so she started with mindset and that was a game changer for me and it was a game changer for me personally. And then it was a game changer for me on how I looked at growth and business development. And there is just magic that exists when, when you get over some of those internal hurdles and no joke, we can about six weeks after I got in alignment, like I had a client come through and it was $150,000 in revenue and, and it was the biggest client. And it was just like, how did this happen? And and that really taught me about when you're in alignment with yourself and what fills you, like you then attract and go and meet those same people and you're more intentional and you're purposeful. And then you create some of the tweaks around how you spend your time, energy and capital to do so. And you have growth. 
So, so talk to us a little bit more about just like what, what changed? What was the, what was the mindset change? What was the alignment change? Like what, what exactly changed? It was like, I was almost burning out. And then six weeks later, I landed my largest client ever. It was like, I, I want, I want me some of that too. So like what changed? The six weeks is true. Like they're like, as you, as you start working on it, like that, that did happen, but there was a lot more than just six weeks of inner work um, because there was years of limiting beliefs that came into my, to my world. But one belief that was really, that I really struggled with was, and that I had to reconcile was that my self-worth was being tied to business results and outcomes. Right. So I think as a society, like this is this is easy pressure and really and really you know to your iceberg point like we measure success on all that top stuff right it's it's tied to numbers and it's tied to AUM and accolades and all those things and so yeah so guess what that tells me who i am and what i'm worth right like that tells me when i'm enough and like i really really played that story like that story was very true and and how does that allow you to show up confident and and in a place of like this is all about you versus being about me right and and so that really that really made sense to me but i was like you know our society is addicted to productivity our business results define our success and i said and then i'm in this business development role which just like fine tuning that down even more my metrics are everything. <laughs> like, like, you know, like my metrics are literally how I, how I get my performance reviews and all of those things. And, and then honestly, just adding in being a woman and, and just that extra level of like what you have to prove in order to advance or what you have to overcome in order to advance. Like my, my self-worth was just, was, was just tied to all the wrong things. And, and what she helped me, what Stephanie helped me work through was that, my worth is never determined by external factors, right? It's mine. And and what's interesting about this is even in your internal worth, like you don't have to do anything about it. Like we are just worthy as humans. Like I am just worthy being, right? And and once I started understanding that, like it was really, really incredible. And then what I was able to do was redefine my core values and get super clear on them. So now I have some boundaries around protecting and making sure that if if that comes up for me again, that I'll have some sort of awareness or or idea that that's that that's happening. And and then lastly, I redefine success and productivity. And productivity now isn't about how much I accomplish at work. Some of my most productive days are days off. And, and that was releasing. And then also success is not a dollar figure or a position. Like success actually is in all of those things above the iceberg. That's just, that's just how society has defined it. Um, for me, success is about having agency and having agency, which is a core value of mine, by the way, and destiny capitals. But I define my success or I now define success by agency, which is about having the ability to determine how I spend my time, energy, relationships, money, and how I make decisions and, and being in power to make decisions. And to me, that is really successful. And, and that when I got into alignment with all of that, that is when I saw business development and growth change 
It's when I saw solutions differently. It's when I got intentional and that created a pipeline. It created happiness. It created balance. And so that was, that was a really big one for me was untethering my self-worth from business re- results. I would just help me understand further. Like what, what changed in this re- realignment as you describe it, right? Like I'm still just trying to wrap my head around, you know, I, I, I measured, you know, I, I le- measured a lot of success in terms of, of growth and business development results. So once I let go of that, then all the business development results came like what, what, what actually changed, like what changed in, I don't know what, what you were doing or how you were approaching it, like what altered that suddenly growth, growth started coming once you, once you tried to make this shift in your own mindset. Yeah. Moved from an outcome focus to an activity focus, right? Aligned myself with things that were, that had, if I, if I did the activities that I really enjoy doing and did them in an intentional way, but Ultimately, what I learned is like there's a lot of uncontrollables and outcomes, and yet that is my entire my entire way of measuring myself and and my business and and outcomes matter, but outcomes come when you do activities, right? Like the only way outcomes don't come is if you don't do the activities or you don't do them in a way that is that is in alignment with you, right? Like you just you you set yourself up to sabotage them, right? Like how many times have you gone to a networking event and you didn't talk to one person or you found that one person and you stuck with them the whole time because it's not what you wanted to do. Like you were never going to get the outcome that you wanted. You were just checking something and and being seen as how it's traditionally done. And so for me, that was the shift was I'm going to take the focus off the outcome and focus on the activity. So kind of in... Instead of worrying so much about like I had this great prospect, I got to get this great prospect. I got I got to close this client. Getting away from focusing on the outcome, did that did that prospect become a client? And getting focused more on the activity of how many prospects did I see this this week or month or whatever it is? How many of these conversations am I having? Am I having good conversations in an authentic way? Because I know if I do that enough you know, at some point, this is going to average out into positive outcomes anyways. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? The outcome is about, I mean, it can be about them. I think we can trick ourselves to say about them, but like truly the outcome is about us. The activity can be about them. And when you're in that place, it's so easy to drive value and opportunity and, 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 and in a way that's extraordinary. And, and yeah, when I, I, when I went that route, it just, it changed a lot. Interesting. So when you focus, when you focus on the activity, it's easier to make it more, more them oriented. Yes. So, so what ultimately, I guess, like what, what change came from that? Cause it sounds like in the midst of like some realization, like I'm, I'm burning out, I'm not happy in the advisor role, uh, a mindset shift that suddenly makes business development uh, work and click a little more for you. It sounds like there was also just a, a change in firm and roles and something that came in the midst of all of this shift as well. So what, I guess, what happened next as you're going down this road of trying to restructure how you're thinking to focus more around what does success really mean to me and what does it look like when I focus on activities instead of outcomes? Yeah. In that shift, what what happened was I think 
it gave me the courage to start thinking about like, because I'm thinking about growth differently because I'm getting outcomes based on doing activities in a very different way, right? Like that, that maybe I, I have something here. And, and so there was a lot of like journaling and writing and, and then, and, and a lot of that came from limitless advisors practices this, but like, you know, what is your above the line versus your below the line stuff, right? Like what's energy filling versus energy draining, and really paying attention to that. And so I started doing that work too, like what was really great. And that's when it became very clear to me that the technical planning pieces of it or still doing those pieces of it, like that, that wasn't like my calling, like that wasn't, that wasn't what was going to get it there. And then I also just got to a point where I think that the, the scaredness of having to prove myself or if I'm enough, that that was depowered. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily go away. Right. But you have the tools and and the ability to work through it when it, when it spikes up. But it really was like, well, why, why can't I forge a new path? Right. Like why, like, why can't I just like put it out there and see what's the worst that can happen? People are like, that's a joke. Like they can't live. And that really helped me because that's when I had the ability to really say like, am I in full alignment with where I'm at? Am I doing right by myself and the people I care about? Like, am I doing, am, am I, and, and what does that look like? And, and so as I, as I worked through that, that's really where the CGO was like working through that mindset stuff, having results in growth, which was something I loved thinking about it differently talking to a lot of people in the industry. So again, my curious mind and challenging things is really helpful because I ask a lot of questions. And so I, I had a lot of relationships with other advisors and I'm like, Hey, like, do you experience this? What does this look like? And so I think, you know, just that, that combination just finally got to me to the point of like, why not? And why not me? Let's just give this a shot. And I knew that those problems of business development in which generation one built their careers off of, but, and that was great and fine and sustainable while they're in growth or lifestyle mode, that becomes a friction point when they want to slow down or sell, especially if they have a legacy or want to do an internal succession. And the problem for the second generation in taking over these firms or running these firms is that they're planning focused business development was never a skill or growth, like really was never a skill brought in, trained, dripped on, seated along the way. And they were going to be taking over a business in which they had, you know, a hundred and whatever it is, like 150 households, a hundred, you know, $200 million in our management and three staff. And they're now in this place of like fear mode of retention and and running all of these things that business development was never going to be a priority. So I knew that problem existed. And then I knew, I mean, listen to your podcast and everything else in our industry, but like generalists are not the way of the future. Like we have to think out of the box. So I knew those problems existed enough that other people would care and want to listen to what I've come up with because there's solutions for them in it too. And, and it, not, it, not about it just being my fulfilling journey, but it, there's real solutions to problems that exist for other people. And I think that's where the response came from of like, chief growth officer, yeah, like all day long. And many people took that in context of like only business development 
the culture piece and the the you know the the passion around talent and retention was isn't necessarily focused in that area but there's actually real magic between business development and and culture and people and so but yeah and 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 the next thing i knew was i found a firm that was that was ready to go in that with me and and give it a go and it's been 2 years Help me understand a little bit more, though, of just literally how, like, what you created and how this came to be. Like, you you sat down one right and just said, screw the industry and everything else. I'm writing this job description, and I'm going to find someone who will hire me to do this. Like, no. Is that essentially what it came down to? <laughs> I mean, not, not totally screw the inter- industry by any means, because I'm really passionate about the industry and what we do, right? Like, I, I believe that this is the way to change the world. When you can put money in the seat that it belongs versus the seat that it has, we get to change the world. So it wasn't the industry, but it was the industry has, for for what I started trying to tread lightly here, I guess, but like a lot of archaic thinking I felt and, and experienced in some ways. And, um, and I'm not cookie cutter. And so there was aspects of that. And I really, really believe there's, there's cultural problems and I really want to be a part of that solution. So what I did was I thought, okay, revenue, I've developed some really cool systems and processes. Like I've documented my processes along the way, right? So my superpowers are people connection and process. And so when you do when you put people in process together, business development is is a beautiful thing. And so I had some some amazing processes and I had the skill set and I had enough enough wins or enough outcomes that would say that I have the experience and skill set to do this. And so from a revenue perspective, I that's where I saw I'm like top line revenue, like I can do it and I can teach it. So I started mentoring and teaching other advisors what I was doing. And I found the power of like abundant sharing and collaboration and then client experience. It was the same way, right? Like I was always interested on not providing the client experience, but how we were doing that and how we could improve it and how that had a growth lens to it. Like, how do we create, how do we make our clients become advocates of ours, right? Running tons of client advisory boards, gathering information along the way. And then the culture piece, like, how do I create a culture of growth and trust and acceptance and like do this in in a, in a different way that we've done it in a way that talented people can thrive like that that they're not coming from that like hunger you know starving place that they're coming from a whole place and then the last piece of that which i which i think is just like an overlay on that is like the brand identity piece or or some of the marketing but what's interesting so those are the four core areas that i oversee like that that is what i developed and like okay so CGO, I was really passionate about the revenue, client experience, and culture. Brand identity is a big piece of that. The marketing campaigns um, is a piece of that, especially our industry really puts together business development and marketing. I actually see them siloed. But uh, going into a smaller firm, like these are going to be pieces that are important to that. And so I just drew that up and and recognized that these other problems existed from where the industry was from generation in one and two. And then we're seeing, you know, fee compression, technology and all that. And we're going to have to think out of the box and 
my position. So you were trying to just write your own job. Like I want a chief growth officer job description. I'm going to be responsible for revenue, client experience, culture, and brand identity. Like I'm writing this. This is what I want. And then you just started calling firms and saying, do you, do you want this? Yeah. Well, so I wrote it out. So part of mindset work and working with Stephanie is, you know, envisioning like visions are powerful. So like if you are looking into the future, you're thinking about things like it, as I think Steph puts it, when your vision is clear, your decisions are easy. So I think, you know, a lot of that came out, out from doing those exercises of what do I really love doing? What do I not? Like, what am I really good at? What am I not? Like just all those types of things. But along the way in my career, I've had really incredible opportunities to learn from different coaches, from learn from really successful advisors. I had ability to connect. So I got to learn a lot and I was just curious and picking brains, right? So I, I learned a lot from being in front of, I mean, any given week, I was probably for years in front of two to three different advisors, just picking the brain. How, how'd you come successful? What struggles do you have? What's going on? And that was when I picked up, like, there's this real fundamental mismatch between how business was built before and how people are coming into business now and where we're going. And I wanted, I wanted to be a part of that solution. And also then learning about like partnerships that somewhat existed under a similar model, right? Like not a total model, not a CGO model, but like one partner is a rainmaker and one partner is a servicing partner, like the client advising partner and where those went well and where those don't go well. Um, There's a lot of breakups in that area as well. And so I just got really curious about that because I was like, originally I thought that was the way, like just business development. It didn't feed my whole, like, you know, I'm going to change the the world and women's advancement and all that type of stuff. But what it did was like, it fed into a lot of things that I really enjoyed and But what I found was like, it wasn't sticky enough for a partnership to last forever because at some point, like business development is all like hunger and growth and the hunt. And, and I found the client. So you have one that is most more growth mindset and you have one that's more lifestyle mindset or lifestyle oriented. And those disconnects were there. And I thought, how do you create a position that is stickier that really keeps everybody in alignment and, and, you know, nurtures the growth on the on that lifestyle side but also is connected enough to understand capacities and all that and and be a part of a greater solution not just prospecting and so as you looked at it you were your view was there's all these gaps around how firms are going to grow in the future because the 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 model of career development has changed as i, I mean as you i think put it well right like the the first generation of advisors, you you came in with business to either business development skills or you learned them immediately because it was all eat what you kill. If you did that well enough to survive, then you earned the opportunity to actually figure out something else to do. You know, go go expand into financial planning advice or other areas or go start your business wherever it was. But like everyone went through the doorway of business development first, everything else comes later. And if you can't get through that doorway, you're not here. Versus the generation of advisors that are coming in today. We're granted some people still come in those business development roles and, and can do that path, but we have more and more of these pathways around, you know, just being an advisor, serving clients, service-oriented roles, operations roles that morph into 
client service roles that morph into associate advisor and advisor roles, kind of a, a, a journey that you did. But you could be, you know, the the prior advisor, I mean, if you if you didn't figure out how to do business development in the first six or 12 months, you didn't have a job. In the current world, like business development is maybe something you decide, okay, I've been doing this for 10 years now as a successful advisor with a great client base. I think I'm going to try to figure out this business development thing now or or not. And you may never go, go there. And you get, I think, as you noted, this, this gap that comes for firms where founder who was Rainmaker drags growth of entire firm on his or her back that eventually gets to the point where they're not so growth hungry anymore. They're getting ready to retire. And so the founder that did business development doesn't want to do it anymore. Isn't going to be around for the long run. The next generation are wonderful advisors that take wonderful care of clients, but no one wants to or has a skill set for business development. And so you get, you know, specific to a firm and even broader across the industry, all of these growth challenges for firms where no no one actually has the skill set to do the next stage of growth now. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and you see be I think my experience and where I had to sell in order to survive as well as being salaried advisor that got to plan without the fear of of the income piece of it and being on both sides of that I I think has really allowed me to honor both sides of that pretty well. Like, I mean, there's aspects of where I'm, you know, I get really frustrated with the previous, the previous model, but you know, it's interesting because generation two also has the opportunities to come in and, and even push even more quality advice to clients because there's books to work on and there's clients, there's clients there. Right. And so it's funny because generation one is almost the reason generation two has the problem that it does. Um, yeah, they don't understand it, right? Like a lot of it's like, well, I did it. Why can't you? And it's like, well, <laughs> because like well, I'm if I wanted to do that, I wouldn't work here. <laughs> yes, I would have gone and done that. That's exactly it because I would have made more money and been able to do it on my terms should I have wanted to do that. I may, I didn't want to do that, which is why I'm here, right? And so- and so there's like that, like business development and sales is like a huge friction point there. And it works well, again, for many, many years until succession or slowing down of generation one happens. And then generation two doesn't necessarily have the skill set to take it into the future for a long time, right? Like if if that advisor's book that you're working on, your clients are all retirement in their seventies, like the you're you're you need more than just the organic growth. Like you have to get purposeful about your next thirty years, your next twenty years, and that's hard for you because one along the way you were just never really learning the business development skill sets. Like maybe on the onboarding pieces of it, but but not beyond that. And growth was never nurtured into you. And I thought that like that's that's a that's a miss. Like something about destiny capital and, and coming in a CGO is every single one of my team members feels a part of growth and knows that they're a part of growth. Like, and that, that that's from administration to finance to ops because growth isn't all about prospecting and pipeline, right? Like let's think about this differently. It's about efficiency. It's about taking risks and and putting your putting your neck out and like learning something and doing something differently. It's you know those are all things about growth. So everybody in my firm feels like they have business development metrics. And what happens when you do that is like 
your opportunities shift, right? When, when your client wealth coordinator learns how they can contribute to growth or, and, or business development, like what they look for when clients send things in, or they're listening to things a little bit differently that create a door for opportunity. Like those are things that we can do and create. And that was something that I, I didn't get far into my career. And, um, I thought, wow, like what a miss. And then of course these second generation advisors, I mean, they, their, their whole measurement of worth and performance and all that stuff, right? Like the, the mindset stuff was all based on delivering client experience. And and now like there's just this flip of the switch and that hasn't been nurtured, nor has it been something that they've ever had to think about. And, it matters. And my thought was, or my original thought when I was coming into it was, well, great. Like somebody else can just do that. And it could be a, a partnership in heaven because you can't do it all is the other piece of it. Like I, I think it's really, really hard to do it all. I mean, there are people that do it, but I think similar to that mindset of like, you can't be all things to all people. And if like you can really specialize in what you do best, then you're going to have more momentum there. So I think that's similar in, in our career. And so I felt that piece of it, but then I was like, well, it's just so much more like you, you don't just walk into a firm where somebody's retention and lifestyle focused and your growth focused and that you guys just have like this great synergy and you're off, you're off to the races. It's not just about like, I'll bring in the clients and you service them. High five. Like you're going to have different philosophies. You're going to have different approaches. Like you're going to, like, there's going to be friction on what you believe and how you believe on going about it just simply based on on, on that factor. And so I knew that it was going to be more than the second generation, just having business development. It was about business development and creating a combined vision, right? Like one that works for both people. So help me understand more of just how you turned this thing in your head. Like I've had my mindset revelation. I know the things I want to do. Okay. Now there's tens of thousands of firms out there, none of whom I currently work with, one of whom may or may not actually want this. Like, how do you actually turn this into a job? Like, what did you do? You know, my approach has always been, I I mean, I was really out in the community. Like I question, I question everything. I I beta things. I ask people things. So I think, I think that's always ended up serving me not knowing it, but I mean, that was really it. Like, I was like, hey, like, these are all the problems I see. And like, I really, really think this could be a solution. Like, what are your thoughts? Like, pick it apart. Give me feedback. And so I was just in front of advisors and and not cold calling them. I mean, relationships. And I was like, you know, hey, you should really meet this person or advisor. And so that's really how that ended up coming about. And what happened was I was my current partner, Jared Music. I had met him along the way and I was fascinated. He was a second generation. So Destiny Capital has and is successfully transitioning to the second generation, not without his challenges, but also with a lot more success than I could have imagined. And I thought, wow, like, so, okay, our visions are going to line, right? Like we're both looking out 30 years, like not one of us is looking out two or like, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't looking to just have a lifestyle firm. He was looking for growth and change. Um, I think we both had that mindset and entrepreneurial mindset of like poking holes in things like you just like, why not think that you can do something differently or better? Right. And so he, he became a mentor to me on it actually throughout the journey of like, this is why I'm thinking like he, you know, like I went through the things of like, I really believe this is an equity position. Like my, my goal here isn't to 
isn't to go and grow somebody else's business, one. But number two, like I actually don't know how I can be most effective if I don't have the decision-making power and and the true empowerment to to make this work. And he agreed and coached me through all of that. And that's that's really... I mean, really what it came down to was that I put it out there. There was really good feedback. There was positive market response. And I met somebody who was willing to take the risk on me. And I was willing to take the risk on him and Destiny Capital and taking it into the future. And and that is how I ended up with my chief growth officer role. And and so how did this work in terms of creating a position? Like you'd said, you 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 were looking for something that would tie to equity to be aligned. Like, did you, you, did you have clients you brought in? Did you, did you buy in? Was equity given? Like just how do you come to the table and say like, Hey, I've got this vision for growing your firm. Oh, but I, I kind of need a piece of it in order to make that happen. Like, how does, how does that work? Yeah. So I think I was, I was lucky in Jared because of just, of his visionary piece. And and we were able to just be really open and honest. So what I learned in researching all these failed partnerships and all the ones that worked and the, and you know, the experiences I've had and, and, and for him was a couple of things was you got to put it all on the table. So like we need full transparency. We need to make sure we're really aligned. We need to make sure our core values are aligned. Like those types of things were really, really important. So so we did like we had honest and hard conversations up front and and I was like decision making is really important to me. I for for a couple of things like I had some I had some mindset crap around it, right? Like I've been told so many times like no or this is how we always do it and like I didn't believe in that. Like I I wanted and and I needed I needed space to make mistakes because this is new and that is terrifying and he and like so like we can't go in this expecting it to be perfect because we have an idea and I think it has a lot of potential. We see all the writing on the wall, but we're going to have lessons and he already has that that mindset, right? And so we had that and then and then we got into the equity piece and why and like and the partnership piece of it and that this was a co-vision that we were going to take into the future and do something wild like wildly successful with Destiny Capital and how we were and how we were going to transform it what i what was great about Jared is he realized my strengths were not his and vice versa. So we had really, really great synergy around it, but we also found synergy around where we both have strengths and we could collaborate well and where we had blind spots and we were going to need to make sure that we had team members that could really create some vision there. So that was one, like we, we, we did all that work because, because of failed partnerships are scary. And, and then number two, we did put in time until I became an owner. So we created the path and signed an agreement prior to me making the decision. But we said, we both, we, while this feels great, like, why don't we put, like, create that honeymoon phase, right? Like, so why don't we, why don't we go, go a year? We decided on a year, attorney or legal advice was that you usually know within three to six months. I think this was something that we both felt like needed a little bit more time. Although I think we would both say that we knew probably within that earlier time frame that, that it was going to work really well. So we built that in and I, and the risk to, on both sides of that was, like he, he was out like gifting doesn't work. And he's like, and it doesn't put you in a place to get the decision-making or think like a partner or think like the entrepreneur or take this to where you were, want to go with it. And buying in is, is really important because it shifts 
the way you're a partner and how you think. Um, and it creates a different bond amongst partners. And, and I couldn't agree more. Destiny Capital was an entity that was grown by Steve Music before us. I was coming into a successful firm that had the capital and vision to allow me to really trial this. Like to me, when I had the opportunity to buy in, I wasn't just buying into the future. I was buying into what already existed. And so that I felt really in alignment with. And so we came to terms on, on, on that. And then the other thing that we did was until I'm a partner, I, we had a termination clause in there in which if it didn't work out that, um, there was going to be some sort of, some sort of payment for the work that I did and put in there because something you learn about business development and growth is that you can, you can put those processes in place and there's years of benefits ahead and so I wanted to make sure that I was protecting myself and that if this doesn't work out and you get to reap the rewards of the benefits of the work that I do going forward, like I'd love some sort of like um, fixed payment. And so we just put a number to that. And no, I did not come with clients. I loved my previous partners. And what's interesting about playing a business development role versus being the advisor is at the end of the day, the clients don't have a relationship with me. So all the pipeline advisors I brought in and when they come through COIs, especially like, you know, they're not in front of me building that relationship with me. So the, the chances of me even taking clients are minimal as a business development or chief growth officer. And, and that's, that's awesome for the firms that you work with. Right. But like I wanted to, and that's why equity became important to me was because, because one, the vision and, and building, but two, there was a protection aspect of that, like. I want to be a part of what I bring in and and protecting myself and the fact that like, I'm not building a book of business where these clients, like I'm not protecting myself in that way. They're not sticky to me. They're sticky to the company. Like they're sticky to the advisors that are servicing them. That's who they get raw and, and work with. And so I had to, I, that is something that we recognized and talked about ahead of time. Right. And he, he understood that. And so we were really able to work through a lot of things up front and that allowed us to start off on a really healthy foot. And those were, and and those were lessons that I've learned in the past where like, they're hard to reconcile when you make decisions early that you just don't know what you don't know and everybody doesn't. And so it took a while to understand how business development works when you're not the servicing advisor. And so I curse, like, how did you value the the buy-in when you were doing this, like did, did, uh, do you go get the firm valued externally? Did you just kind of come to a negotiated rate? Did you make a adjustment to the valuation given the opportunity here? Like how did you approach the transaction? Yeah. So Destiny Capital and, and, and Jared get valuations on the firm every year. So I knew the, the numbers coming into where they're currently were at. And we locked in that I was going to be buying in from the valuation in which the day I started, even though I was buying in a year later, because we wanted to account for any growth that was coming in to play with. So you um, wouldn't have to like, let's take a year of you growing this. And if it works out, you can buy at the value you created with the growth that you brought. Yeah. We're going to get out of this. We're going to get out of this. You need to prove yourself stage. And we're going to be like, I actually believe in you, right? Like there was that difference <laughs> right there. 
And uh, and so I appreciate that he saw that and was willing to go with me there. And so we we put it to there. And then I'm not a, a majority partner. I'm a m- minority partner. So um, we did do a lack of control discount based on the fact that I'm a minority owner. But we did have a conversation about the fact we actually talked about, I was like, being a minority owner and decision-making and decision-making is really, really important to me. And so the only thing that I couldn't, we agreed that we would be, and and we have it in writing. I don't know if it would hold up in the court of law, but like we have it in writing from a decision-making standpoint, we would have to we would both have to agree on certain initiatives or certain things. So like a future partner, like even though he has majority, like that's something that both of us have to totally agree on. And if one of us is off, then that partner won't, won't come on. Right. Like those are things that we agree to. The only thing that I can't, the only thing that I, where I know he would take into uh, easily take into account what I had to say about it or my perspective, but selling the company to a third party if we were ever to be in that place. And the reason for that was because of the way we set up the deal, I could be, there could be more incentive for me to sell it versus him because of the way the deal was structured. And I think the lack of control discount doesn't show up in that third party sale. So like I could have technically more incentive to do that. And so just to remove that misalignment that would be done by our board of directors. And while my voice would be heard, ultimately, that's the one thing that could be overruled, I guess. And so, so I guess I'm wondering both what other issues came up as you were at the table, trying to sort all this out, as you put it, like create a co vision and just how did you figure out all this stuff to cover in the first place? Or like, did you find a a consultant or a checklist or something or, or something else just to guide all these different areas that you were talking through? No, you know, we really, we really didn't. I think Jared and I have, we're both in the industry for about eight years, seven or eight years before we got there. And I had the experience of personally being, being in firms where partnerships broke up and, and the deal terms and being behind that and legal structures. Um, I, 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 I had this privilege early in my career and I'm I'm so grateful for it. I didn't know what I had at the time, but there was this mastermind group that was put together and it was these advisors from across the nation. There was five of them that represented over $5 billion in asset under management. And I got to go in as coordinator of this of this mastermind. And so I was the only one that was like interested to learn. And and what was super cool about it was they were all extremely transparent about everything from like how they structured their firm to how they do fees from client experience to where they succeed to where they're challenged. So like I knew S court versus LLC and why they made those decisions, what contracts they have partnerships and what worked and what failed and how they structured those from how every employee was paid. I mean, it was it was an incredible experience at the time. I didn't know it. I was just coordinating it, right? And documenting information so that they could have a fruitful conversation. And what I ended up what I ended up taking from that was there was there was so much that I was able to learn that that paved the way for I think a, a strong partnership conversation along the way. And then just listening to failed partnerships. And I'm out in the community a lot. I work with a ton of entrepreneurs. Actually, that's an area of focus for Destiny Capital. But I work with entrepreneurs. And so there's there's that aspect of just story after story of what's worked and what hasn't. 
And and then I myself and in my previous relationship, like we tried the business development servicefizing role and so many things worked and so many things didn't. And and some of those conversations that you heard, like those were the things where I was like, okay, I have to reconcile the fact that like I'm bringing in business and I like, it's not mine. Like they're never going to go with me. I don't have that relationship. Like, how do I account for that? Like, what does that mean? And, and like, that was something that I was like, this has to be like a conversation. Like, how do we deal with that? And so we just brainstormed that together and, and we both feel really good about it. And, and because I don't have to worry about who the relationships are being in front of. I just need to worry about they're getting the best service because I get I get to I get the reward of doing it that way on on from being an owner. I guess to me just one of the the striking takeaways of it is is just whatever worry or issue or nagging doubt it is that you're that you're wondering about if you're if you're thinking about negotiating one of these like just say it and put it on the table and talk through it cuz a, it's not going to go. It's probably not going to go better if you don't talk about it and bring it up. And and I guess B indirectly, like if you don't feel comfortable to have that conversation, this probably isn't going to end up being a good partnership anyways. If you can get comfortable enough to have those conversations and sort through them together, you know, a that speaks to just you know the the candidness of the prospective partnership, the connection of the prospective partnership. And I suppose kind of literally like speaks well for your ability to reconcile differences in views and perspectives to come to a common vision. If you can literally bring up issues with different views and come to a consensus on how to build a common vision. Totally. And think about how that shows up in growth when you're able to do that, right? Like more perspective and different lenses of coming about it. Like that's usually there's some really juicy stuff in there, but yeah, that's exactly it. Like you... You have to put it on the table because that's the that that really is the ticket. And then and then really coming at it from a place of curiosity on both sides versus it's really easy to let that it's really easy to let that inner stuff come up, right? Like fear of failure driving that or and 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 honestly, like part of part of that came up because in my previous place, like I was so scared of failing because I didn't have those relationships and I had no security in it, right? And and that was to nobody's fault. We didn't know, <laughs> but, but like, you know, Jared, Jared did a really good job welcoming the fact. And, and we both really helped each other being like, okay, like what's true here. And then how do we, how do we really approach this with curiosity? We both also had legal checks on things to help us from a legality standpoint and, and come up with some ideas there as well. And, and so it just, and so were you, were you working with an attorney through this as well of just formulating, drafting a bunch of agreements? Yeah. So we, he had an agreement that he had in place for his own buy-in to the firm. So, and so there was that. And, um, one thing that came off in the front was he's like, Hey, like I'm, I'm, you know, you're welcome to use our attorney. I'm willing to pay for it as we go down this road. And I was like, that's a really good idea. Then I was like, wait a second. Like that attorney is representing you. Like I should probably get my own. And if, if this is, if this is what I'm willing to do, then I need to invest the $3,000 I'm going to spend on an attorney to go in this. Like, this is a big deal. And so that was like, it was really great because like we both were like, yeah, that like makes sense. How did you find an attorney for this? Or like, who did you use? Just like for a lot of us, we don't necessarily have that person on speed dial. Yeah. So, I mean, part of 
business development and and in a way that I'm really good at building business development as center of influence. So my years prior, I have a lot of relationships in in the community. So I I actually did have that person of who I would know and trust to be the person to walk me through that. I'm just wondering, were like, were there any other major issues or sticking points that that came up that you had to try to sort through to to make sure this was going to work for both of you? Not, you know, honestly, not really. I think, I think we did all of our work up front by putting it on the table. We were really honest about it where I was at. Like it all came about really, really fast once it was like, I know like we, like the building of it and talking about it. And then it was like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. And it's going to happen fast. So like that, there really wasn't any sort of concerns or looking back on it issues from a partnership level. Like it all has actually worked out really, really well. And we both put things on the table where I'm like, Hey, I'm coming in at this equity, but, and we have this, we have this vision of how it's going to build and how other partners are going to come in and why we're doing equity a certain way. I just want to put it out there that I want that to remain on the table because our vision is only as good as today and the information and plan that we have, like so much can change that. And so I just want to keep that open and a conversation. I think we should talk about it every year. Like, I think we should really talk about our partnership and equity every year. And because I want to make sure that like, if our vision changes and I should be less or more of a partner, like that's a conversation. And, 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 and those things, those things have happened. Our vision has changed. I mean, we've learned a lot along the way and, and not from necessarily a partnership level, but like from a, a business growth and how we're doing it together and all those things. And, and that shifts like how you think of equity. And then also thinking about the fact that like, I think we both felt like it was good for the places that we were at then. And like now, like we're both like, okay, I think we're ready to like actually even tie ourselves together that much more. And and so we just both agreed that that would be a conversation on the table. Meaning what? Like shifting more equity, doing other team deals? Yeah. So doing like more equity or like if we decided to go through an acquisition, like what would that look like? All those certain things, all those things. So, but that like, to me, it was really important important and, and to, and to Jared, but like in that conversation, it was important to be like, okay, we're, we're agreeing to this. And there's, there's, we're agreeing to a vision and a future and equity exists in a different way. Now, like there's a chance that'll shift. Let's just keep that on a converse. Like, let's keep that on the table as a conversation for us to just say, how are we both feeling? And like, where are we at on this? And, and it's been great. So talk just a little bit about just a destiny capital itself, like the firm that it, the firm as it exists today, where, where does where does the business stand? Yeah. So let's see where I like, should I start with like, so we have about 260 million of AUM. We serve about approximately 200 households. We have a team of 13, which could seem like a lot for a firm of 260 million, but we really, we're really planning for for the growth in the future. And, and we're set up to do that in a really beautiful way while we're present. And then Steve Music is our original founder. So we are in, he started it back in back in the 80s and he's still an, an advisor with us today and, and partner, but he's now a minority partner. And we are, we have done a lot of the succession, but we're still in that transition phase of, of the firm there. And so- what else would you like to know? Just typical clientele. I mean, I can kind of do the the math. Two hundred and sixty million of of assets with two hundred households. Like average average clients, a little bit over a million. But uh, like, is there any other 
common out of your structure around who, who you who you serve or who you're going after in, in trying to grow the business from here? Yeah. So I think this is a part of like where, you know, how Destiny Capital was built and then where we're going. So we, Destiny Capital, historically was really set up to serve um, and do a lot in retirement planning and then high net worth tax planning, I guess, or more planning around the high net worth complexity, financial planning. And so that is that is uh, where you would hear that 260 million of rev or of AUM in 200 households. So interesting enough, we had like Destiny Capital is a traditional model. Steve did a lot of really great things in how he built that and the clients that we serve. And and so he, you know, through seminars and and just a really deep ability to connect and deliver good good advice. So he he built that structure. And then when I came in, I mean, part of my role as CGO and thinking about the future and thinking outside of the box was, okay, number one, we're shifting this from an organic lifestyle practice to a growth practice, right? Like our vision wasn't to just maintain a practice for another 30 years. It was to do something amazing and create massive impact. Like we we wanted to scale that. What was great about the succession was that Steve understood that success success was both what he envisioned and what we envisioned. And then he was really like, yes, like I want this thing to go big. And so so there was that piece of it. And and in that, I'm like, the way to do that is to understand who we best serve and how we do it. And really get into as as you've done such an incredible job interviewing so many people is like how do we how do we specialize and, and what does that look like and so I went I went in and teamed with with Jared these are things that he was doing along the way so Destiny Capital originally was really like here are all the things that we do and if that's something resonates with you like we're going to be your firm and then it went into we have certain advisors that specialize in areas, right? Like we have one that is focused on retirement planning. We have one that's focused on like sudden wealth. And then we have one that's focused on entrepreneurs. And and those teams operated in more specialties, which is great because it's a step forward. And so my role as CGO was like, okay, how do we do it in a way that isn't, that we get to the market, like we penetrate the market in each of these areas. And so I was originally on like a law firm style practice, right? Like, so dusting capital is an overlay. And then how do we, how do we penetrate the markets in, in, in a really great way and grow in, in like retirement planning? Like, what do we do differently in retirement planning? How do we show up there? And, and then entrepreneurs was really fascinating. And so entrepreneurs is, is a big area of focus for us. And it, that the reason is, is it's work that we were already doing. And then I spent the be- the better part of the last couple of years really going out and betaing the market, really understanding entrepreneurs and their their needs set or why why traditional financial planning wasn't wasn't resonating there, right? And and yet we had this knack of being able to serve them and and we were doing it differently. So and then my role was how do we how do we brand that? and market that and message it. And that was really, really hard to do under the destiny capital. So retirement planning, high net worth, there's aspects of being under that traditional model where if you can like start specializing in certain ways. So like a piece of that is our tax overlay. Like our advisor that runs that piece is also a CPA and has and does an incredible job with tax planning and really has that 
specialty there. So we're, we're going down that route with Destiny Capital. So we're in the midst of right now of like, how do we really incorporate that into our client experience? Like, how do we make that more visual? How do we message that on our website of Destiny Capital? And then for our entrepreneur team and where we were serving entrepreneurs, we really tried to work that in under that traditional model. But like client experience, fees, messaging, like all of that, like the entrepreneurs just didn't relate. And I, and so eventually in, in January, I said, I really think we need to DBA this brand. Like nothing is in alignment with like from a messaging standpoint and a marketing standpoint with like the traditional model. And so we are in the midst of that. And depending on when this airs, it might be launched or not, but we're going to call it Entrepreneurs Aligned. And and I'm really excited about that. So, and, and I think- so one of the Entrepreneurs ones- Aligned will be like a- a, a new DBA for Destiny Capital. It's like a new, a new standalone. Well, I was going to say a new standalone business. It's unto itself. I guess it won't literally be because it's a DBA for Destiny Capital, but like a standalone advisory firm website for serving entrepreneurs. That's exactly it. Because the the problem we were having was that we're serving these entrepreneurs in such a great way. But then if they go and research us, like they're like, wait a second, (laughs) like in front of you, like we have all of these things. And then this way, and then also the way we serve entrepreneurs is disruptive to the traditional model. So like it was really important that we were able to message that in a way that resonates with the audience and resonates with the entrepreneurs and, and that they get to see the value that we drive. And, and also a place where, when we're not in front of them, like we're still building that credibility, right? Like, and, and that was really important. And our, our destiny capital brand wasn't representing that because we represent more than just entrepreneurs. We also do retirement and high net worth planning. And so I guess just help me understand more, like, how do you, like, you know, you spent all this time, right? Steve spent 30 odd years building this destiny capital brand. Like, what takes you to a different brand? Like why, why does this not, why does this not still work under one? So I just think that's so different from where most advisory firms end out, or even as you had noted earlier, kind of the, the law firm model, like parent firm, but we have a lot of different specializations. What drives you to this point? You know, I think, I think the fact that the firm has been around for as long as it has and Steve's and what Steve had done, like we have a really good business under Destiny Capital that, that covers all of them, but that, but that really, really speaks to retirement and high net worth planning. And, and so that was a, that was a place where I was like, okay, like there's this, there's this thing that exists and it's and it's doing really well and but yet our vision for the future and where we're specializing and thinking outside the box like there's so much on this entrepreneur side and we are set up best to serve them like we've we've looked at the market we do it differently there really aren't a lot of advisors that work with entrepreneurs and there's reasons for that but we do and so it really just got to a place of like honoring destiny capital and being able to like grow that as well as honoring our future and where and honoring this vision of specializing in a place that we have the ability to serve them better than anybody and create massive impact and so but recognizing the fact that again messaging experience 
fees, like planning, <laughs> investments, like how you manage all of that, they're all different. There isn't actually much synergy between them. The only synergy that comes in is when they have public market assets like Destiny Capital's portfolios would manage those. And it would be a similar philosophy from that standpoint, but the actual investment philosophy and over and how we approach entrepreneurs is different. And so we actually tried for a year to really put it under the, out there. And like we got really good feedback from the market, the center of influence, and we were getting the right, like even more entrepreneurs and they were loving the concept and all that. But entrepreneurs are coming to us thinking more of a traditional model. We're having to really work through them with that. And so it was a place of like, we need the tongue in our shoes to match the tongue in our mouth. And and we need to, we need to allow these things to, that don't have a lot of crossover to exist, exist differently. And so can you explain a little bit more? And I know you'll be launching this more fully in in a few months, but just like, what is it you're doing or offering or charging at Entrepreneurs Aligned that makes it so different from Destiny Capital that that the rest of the website doesn't work? Like, is this a business model thing of, of how you're charging? Is this something else? What's so different in practice? No, I think it's a couple of things. So we really focus on working with entrepreneurs as as we describe them as like freedom fighting entrepreneurs. So they're they're not necessarily the entrepreneurs that are coasting. They're not empire builders. You know, they're really in a place of they love what they do and and they have really great ideas. They're they they they're successful. So they're making about a million dollars or more in owner benefit and and they have income that generally fluctuates. But really they have a large concentration of their net worth tied up in the business. And they don't tend to put a value or have a worth, like put any sort of value to that business because they don't believe that like it's true, right? Like it's not true until they sell it and the money's in their account. So they they make decisions from a very different place. Like they may overfund qualified plans. They may hold on to too much cash. They may not have their capital stacked in a, in a way to weather bad times because they're not putting, they're not, they're not putting what is the largest concentration of their wealth into play for decision-making. And so what we found was that placing the business equity value at the center of the work that we do for them, where they focus most of their time and cap, you know, their time and capital is focused, that that drives massive value. And the way that we, we have fee structures that are associated to, to support that, right? Like, so that means that they may not have public market investing in order to work with us to do that planning. And so if 90% of their wealth is, is concentrated in, in, in their business, and so we do that on a, on a flat fee basis based off of our time and the complexity of work, and, and we bill on that quarterly. Or if they do have public market assets, then there's some sort of balance between AM fee and that, and that flat fee. So we have three fee structures on that based on where they're at in business life. The concept is, is different. So tradition, like overcoming that traditional wealth management, like sometimes it's easier for them to think about the fee coming from their accounts versus, versus the flat fee. So we've worked on that in in three different ways to really make sure that we're serving we're whole to serve the entrepreneurs that need. But the the specialty is bringing a value and putting their business at the center of our planning, and then honestly earning the right or the opportunity to advise them on their other capital as well, right? So, and and that puts us in a position of really being the type of advisor we want to be for them, which is their entire world, or, or going over their entire financial 
financial world. And the way we bring value is we bring valuation <laughs> to the table. That's that's how we how we work with our business owners is a lot don't have valuations. They may not get them unless they need like a loan or something along those lines, maybe an MA transaction. And it's something that goes, you know, we have we have examples where they they finally are going through, you know, somebody's approached them, they get this valuation, but then the deal doesn't go through. So it must not be worth that. And so like those types of things really show up and they drive a lot of decisions that may not be a place to allow them to optimize their wealth, time, energies. And, and that's what we're looking to solve. And so how are you actually doing this kind of helping them with business valuations? Like, do you, do you have a business valuation expertise or is that something you formulated? No, we have a we have professional partners in which we've done in all the vetting to work with. And then as a part of them onboarding with us, that's something we pay for because they don't do it themselves and it's a hurdle and it's really important. So that is that is how that works. Like it's a part of the offering, but it's an informal valuation. So it's not something that holds up with the IRS. It's not meant for MA. It's it's meant to really start to bring to life that like this thing that you have, that your wealth is so heavily concentrated, it has worth, like it has value. And we can start shifting how we're making decisions and planning and how we utilize it to build your wealth. Right. And so that's, that's really how we, how we tackle that. And, and can I just ask like, who, who is that? Like, is that a, a local firm? Is that a national firm? Just, you know, I know, I know there are advice out there. They're always struggling to find who who can actually do good valuation work and work with advisory firms and their clients. Yeah. I, I I think they do ultimately have like a national presence, but it really is boutique. Like it's not one of the massive valuation firms out there. So he, he has the Colorado, Colorado market. And I think a little bit more around like uh, maybe more regional, but it's, it's a more boutique offering and, and firm. And what, what are they called or is it a, person or it's a person he works for adams capital and so help me understand like just this just chief growth officer role like what does a typical week look like for you at this point what do you what do you do on a a week-to-week basis being in you know being in a firm our size like i still meet with center of influence and do some business development and as a partner I, i i really see my role in bringing in business as a partner duty, right? Like partners should be helping grow the firm. And so I, I do meet with some center of influence and I do, I do run our growth initiatives. I'm overseeing our entire entrepreneur, entrepreneur aligned build out. I'm overseeing the destiny capital build out. So my role is really strategic and super collaborative, right? And I spend time mentoring and nurturing our team and their business development skills. I run business development meetings every week. So, and and when I say I'm doing that, like I'm, I'm, you know, Hey, my team is, I have a, we have our planners who are in more of technical positions and really are really responsible to deliver that value. Now they're going to have a lot of collaborations with center of influence. So their role isn't to go and make sure that the center of influence have the perfect synergies and working with us opportunities for reciprocity, all that, like that's something done at a strategist or I, or I've done that for our firm. Like their role is to really make sure that we're nurturing and building that relationship and the client collaboration is awesome. So they're really 
reinforcing that relationship over and over and over and how we're different with in, in working with our partners in the community and serving clients. And so I, I have those conversations with them. Like we're talking about ways in which they can just just add water to that, right? Instead of like, hey, do I, do I need to go do the center of influence or it not happening? It's like, okay, here are your five center of influence that you're working, doing a lot of work on with clients. Here's what you're, you're going to meet with them quarterly. Here's what you're going to talk. You know, these are things that you sh- should consider talking about. And we brainstorm that. And so I do a lot of mentoring and coaching in that way. And then there's so many other things that come up. So, I mean, I'm running PL, so I'm, I'm, I'm checking on how we're doing there and making offsetting decisions. A lot of visionary work, Jared and I meet weekly and making sure that we're in alignment with what's going on in the culture, what's going on in, in the world. I beta almost everything for our firm right now. Like, so it's like, Hey, we have this idea, you know, like we have this idea, like, how's that going to go work? Like I, I have a, I I'm out in the community a lot. So I, I just go to my people and ask those questions. Um, and, and I nurture and brainstorm ideas. So like if we're going to host a client advisory board or what is our campaigns over the next year for like marketing, Jared and I do run a, have started a podcast called already successful, which is geared towards entrepreneurs. And so I'm looking at how's our growth one-to-one? How are we growing internally? How's our team doing? And then like, how, like, how are we going one-to-many? Like, what does our reach look like? So any given week, all of, all of that's, all of that's happening. And then I do have presentations in the community or some thought leadership stuff. And I also help out with the Limitless Advisor Program. I'm really passionate about helping other advisors in general. And I feel like business development and growth is a place that people are always asking about. And so I do give some of my time and, and primarily do it through the Limitless platform. So what surprised you the most about trying to, to grow and build and market an advisory firm? You know, I think what's, I think one of the things that surprised me the most, like looking back on it, you know, Destiny Capital was in such an incredible place um, and, and so ready for, for growth, right? Like it, it seemed that way when Jared and I met, it was like, okay, he's transitioned, you know, Steve has transitioned a lot of the decision-making and, and stuff to, to Jared and, and we're ready, but like the firm was a lifestyle practice and I think I knew that, but it wasn't just as easy as like, okay, guys, like, let's go grow. Like there was, that is like real transition. It is a vision change. It is a culture change. It is a core value change. And we did a lot of that work as a team, but there's resistance with that. And there is inevitable turnover when you're, when you're changing philosophies and and that's hard, right? Like that's hard stuff to go through. And so what I realized is that the CGO role is there is magic when you're tying when you're when you're building a growth culture and you're not just building prospects and but that is not fast and when you're making that shift you really have to have a lot of space for what comes up with it like that resistance to change that there there's going to be turnover and that wasn't something like you know going in I was like oh great like everyone's going to be so excited like jobs for 30 years and we're going to do such great things and be so happy but like you know funny like enough like when you go into a, a growth culture right like you're you're doing it's shifting the like you have to be seen to be valued it's like no like we like 
you have agency over deciding how you're going to spend your time because like, you know, we trust that we, we hired really great performers and we're going to do this. Or we went to unlimited PTO and that like, that was really uncomfortable for some people. And I think those are things that I just didn't realize would need space for people to wrap their heads around, get comfortable with. And, and that, and then that's true for growth in general, like on everything. So as new campaigns come up and all that, like really creating space for process, like people to process that. And I'm a quick start and I, I can move fast. And so it was, it was really surprising to me that even though like from the outside, a firm looks like they're really, really ready to grow. Like when you're, when you're shifting lifestyle to growth, like it's almost like you're starting, right? There aren't processes to support growth. Like there isn't messaging to support growth. They're like, their te- the team members are then still shifting from like what they've known and grown to having to having growth be there and, and it's uncomfortable. And so that was, that was really eye-opening to me that it wasn't just like, yay, we're all on board. Here we go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that it was going to take a lot of time to end and space and honestly, a lot of lessons uh, that I didn't realize the leadership portion of it or the management portion of it. And so it's been, I'm so grateful for my team because like we've really done this together and we're at a really trusting, open, great place. And, but we are, we're almost two years into this and, and like we now have all of that infrastructure in place to really, really support what we're what we're going for. So what's been the low point for you on this overall career journey? That's a good question. What has been my low point? You know, I mean, I think I work really hard to just honor the journey to tell you the truth. The reason is, is because, you know, my failures and, and my challenges are, you know, they make up your, your, they, they help you, right? They mold you. So I really try hard to honor it. And like, I think if you would have caught me three years ago, I could have been like, oh, like so many things. But, but now, like now that fear of failure isn't playing a role and as much as it used to, I mean, that still comes up, but I don't really know that there's like a low point. Like there's been hard times, there's been hard lessons, but there, there really isn't a low point. Like I'm, I'm living and doing what I love and I have, and I've created those possibilities for so many other people. So I just can't help but to feel really great about it. So what, what, what was the hardest lesson then? There were a few, few of those bumps along the way. I, I really, I, I think one of my, the, a really hard lesson was the shift in in moving into this growth culture and the fact that there were going to be people who that that wasn't their journey they didn't that's not what they aligned with and and because of that destiny capital was no longer the place for them that's hard that 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 is really really hard because my activist heart wants to fight for everybody, right? Like I want them all to feel so good about what they're doing and how they're doing it. But what you have to realize is that, you know, that vision and and that growth and, and creating that, like that, that wasn't what they found joy in beforehand, right? Like they didn't, and, and the way that it was working. And, and so I really had to reconcile with the fact that that just has to be okay. 
that it has to be okay that some people are going to move on and this isn't, and, and it's not for them. And that's difficult. Like that's really hard. So as you look back on your 10 plus years of your journey through the industry, like what, what do you know now that you wish you could go back and tell you 10 years ago at the beginning of the decade? When I look back on it, I really, I really would tell myself like, get present to like all, like enjoy the opportunities that you have in, in, in each seat and like honor them because like, some of my greatest lessons come from sitting in my executive assistant role, right? Like, I mean, some of those things where at that point, like those times where I'm like some of my most frustrating work or some of the things that I really just like irked me or that I experienced, what they actually do is shape you and help you. So like, if you can approach that with gratitude and honoring that journey and being grateful for it versus focusing in on like, all the reasons it's awful or it doesn't work for you, like that would be, that would, that would be it. Because I mean, and, and I really think there's mindset shift in there as well, right? Like I'm sure my, when you're in a place of feeling like you're not enough, it's really easy to focus in on all the things that you're not doing right or it aren't fair and all those things. And so there, there were moments in my career where that outshadowed the fact that like, when I now look on it back now, I'm like, wow, like, look at all the lessons I have. Like, look at why I get to like, think outside of the box. Like, those are all, those are all things that are, that I'm grateful I went through, Be even if they weren't good, because I now have the opportunity to do it differently or do it better or do, you know, anything. So I think that would be it. Like, just honor, honor the journey because it's a good one and, and it shapes us. So what advice would you give to newer advisors trying to, trying to build their careers and getting started today? Don't do it alone. I think one of the incredible shifts of, of, I think naturally in business, but certainly our industry is like, we no longer feel like we have like, like there to me, like it's, it's not showing up as like, we have the secret sauce and, and we aren't, aren't going to tell anybody and everybody. Like, I think there's this shift of like real, we realize that our success is all greater when we're all successful. And so don't do it alone. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I am where I am because I was able to like I, I, I connect with so many other advisors and you don't have to start. And, and when you connect with other advisors and other people, you learn so much faster or people give it information. Away. I, I don't, I rarely have to start something from scratch, right? Because we have all these other advisors in our world who are giving away information or advice. And so to me, there's that piece of it. And then really looking into a mentor's coaching, investing in coaching is extremely powerful. I am a whole hard believer after what I went through and how that shifted my my life and world. I still invest in in coaching to this day. I'm currently working with the self-care coach, right? Like it shifts for me of what I feel like my coaching needs are and where I'm at. And so I'm that's that's where I really felt like I needed some work. So I'm working with a self-care coach. But coaching is also incredible, but it's it's about not doing it alone. So as we wrap up, you know, this is a podcast about success. And then one of the themes that always comes up is just the, the word success means different things to different people. As, as you've noted, sometimes it, the definition changes for us as we go through our, our journeys as well. So you know, you, you've gone down this path and, and, and made these shifts. 
I'm just wondering, like, how, how do you define success for yourself at this point? Yeah. So success for me is now all about having agency. Agency, again, over my time, energy, relationships, capital, and then creating that possibility for others to have agency in their life too, both through the clients that we serve, the team members that I have, and within the community. And and that is success. It's freedom. I love it. I love the at least from the the focus for it. Like I can I can I can tell in a positive way that you you've you spent time thinking about that and then figuring out like how are you going to express that in the in the work that you do in the business that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you so much. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.